As many of you know, St. Paul and St. Andrew's Vacation Bible School is right around the corner, and many of you have received some pleads, some gentle nudges to volunteer. Gentle, though they may be. In one week, this place is going to be inhabited by about 50 kids from the ages of 5 to 11, most of whom... We don't know before they come through the doors. And they will come through these doors, and they will enter our lives. We are ready to receive them. I'm the camp director. Our very own college freshman, Cameron Nybloom, is the student director this year. Katie Reimer, a student at Union Theological, is our Vacation Bible School Minister of Music. And we have 13 youth and college-aged kids of our own church that are going to be our amazing staff of counselors. So roughly, there will be about 70 people under the age of 20 here in this building for a week. Now that's sort of amazing. It's certainly amazing when you think that the church as an institution, let's say, struggles to stay relevant in the lives of young people. So knowing that... Feeling that, it matters. It matters a really great deal what message we're going to offer, what piece of biblical truth will be our focus for the week of shared time together. And I could not imagine a better one, a more appropriate message than the one we have this year. Our camp is centered on it. It's the psalm that you heard Jonathan read just moments ago. The psalmist conveying God's reassuring presence. Always with us, in front of us, behind us, everywhere, and always. You can't go anywhere and get outside of God's presence. Now, I have a clergy colleague who calls this specific psalm the Stalker God Manifesto. And it does make me giggle to think of it that way. It's a new thought for me. And I get that perspective, but it's not mine. I cling to these words in Psalm 139 and the message that they convey. They have been throughout my life deep comfort, my counsel, and my gospel. God is with me. Always, and nothing is ever too much or too scary, too painful, too hard, or too annoying to run God off. I need that assurance, don't you? Yes. And I imagine that this message is one that is desperately needed by our young people. In all of the tumult, in all of the uncertainty, and the unknowns of growing up, God's constancy is paramount. The reminder of that assurance, that constancy, comfort, and knowingness is what I think is an essential message, one we could all stand to think about for at least a week. But the psalmist isn't done with describing just wherever God may be. The psalmist turns the focus from God to us, God's children, and writes, You shaped me, first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. 
Now, who doesn't need to hear that message? I am something. I am wonderfully made by God. Every bit, inside and out, sculpted. I'm unique and known and loved. These powerful assurances often stand as the foundation of faith for some of us when people's lives and bodies are targeted for being wrong, being less than, even being expendable, for not being worthy of the love of God as they are. These words are more than words. My childhood Bible, I went back and looked at it, is so highlighted, dog-eared, and asterisked on this passage. It's a testament, I think, looking back, to the pain and the pressure I had on me being a closeted lesbian in southern Mississippi. I had received this message over and over daily that something was messed up between my body and my soul. I think of other folks who come to this psalm and find more than comfort. They find a lifeline. Maybe a trans soldier whose body was threatened by tweets from the most powerful person in this country this week. Maybe it's a kid who's got brown skin and who speaks with an accent that he can't get rid of. Maybe it's a 12-year-old black boy who had the audacity to grow tall and only be seen as a threat by white folks. Maybe it's a homeless woman who knows her body smells before the passerby winces. Maybe it's an elderly man who lives with physical disabilities that he wishes were invisible. Or a young adult who struggles with emotional disabilities that nobody understands because they can't see. We cling to these Bible passages that remind us that We are sacred, that reconnect us to the divine truth that we are known and loved, whole. We need to hear God, as in Genesis 1, proclaim again that we, the creation, are good. And not just good, very good. These words are more than salves for our wounds. They are salvation, words that truly save lives. Now, we can all use an infusion from these saving words of grace, I think, and we need them, especially when parts of our scriptures seem to say something different. Uh, Now, I have had this VBS curriculum in my mind for eight months, so I've had some time to think about it, and I've turned it over and over to find out how this psalm could speak to us, not just kids in formation, but adults how we could learn. And I kept thinking about what a shame it was that we all just can't rest in being marvelously made and understanding that everybody else is too. But then I remembered that we're getting messages saying the opposite from almost every direction imaginable. It's no wonder we lose sight of how God created us and made us whole and with a purpose, with care. Marketing images of people without blemish or imperfection. They fill billboards, sides of buses and subway cars. Now we know rationally that they are airbrushed within an inch of their life. But it does not matter. The message sinks in. Don't you dare not be skinny, white, and blonde. 
anti-wrinkle everything takes up literally an entire row of Target. Don't you dare age. The weight loss industry wants to capitalize and monetize every bodily insecurity that we let sneak out of our conscious minds. Don't you dare think you're more than your muffin top or BMI. And that's just advertising and plain make-believe. Then there are the realities of injustice, the realities of oppressive systems that specifically target certain bodies and subject them to scorn, derision, and devaluation. Now, this atmosphere would be enough to make us doubt that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but adding insult to injury, even some of our sacred texts tell us that we need to be fixed, that parts of our bodies are in need of a miracle. In fact, we couldn't possibly be okay as we are. And that's when we come to the gospel lesson from Mark, to find Bartimaeus on the side of a road, cast out, cast off by his community. He's a beggar. He's blind. He belongs on the street, according to the norms of that society. He gets the message that he needs fixing. His body is wrong. It's a hurtful narrative. And it and others like it in the Bible have done great harm. Many in the area of disability justice hold these texts seeming to offer cures that make us differently abled. They hold them as texts of terror. And I do lift that up and honor that perspective and that reality this morning. If we don't trouble these texts, then we cannot use them. It's inappropriate. It's irresponsible. So I come this morning to Bartimaeus with you so that we can think through how we might use this text not as one to repair a body that isn't so damaged, but to think a little deeper about how we can distance ourselves from the harm and find something worth noticing underneath. Bartimaeus is something, not nothing. Bartimaeus gets that, even when the disciples and the crowds around Jesus don't. So let's hear Bartimaeus challenge not our bodies, but our faith. What does he do that we can learn from? Well, the first thing he does is he knows what he's got, not what he hasn't. He's got a voice. He isn't afraid to use it. Mark tells us when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is walking by, he yells out, Mercy! But Mark also tells us that many tried to hush him up. Many tried to disregard him, to dissuade him from speaking up. They were actively working against him, targeting him. But Mark also makes sure that we know how Bartimaeus responds to this reality. The one that tells him he's disposable and useless, nothing and no one to listen to. Know what he does? He yells louder. He yells louder. Now what, I ask you, has Bartimaeus got going for him? How does he, in spite of being rejected by his community, living with a physical disability, being subjected to active oppression, and trying to exist on the side of the streets 
that others take to go somewhere to do something and be somebody? How does he still have faith? In spite of everything, Bartimaeus yells louder. He's got something to say, and he needs Jesus to hear it. He is somebody. He is something, and he knows that he needs Jesus. He knows exactly what he wants from his Savior, and he trusts that God's power is enough to make it so. Now that, my friends, that's faith. It makes me wonder, honestly, do we know what we want? Do we know what we need from Jesus? Do we have a faith that isn't just dressed up hope, but is real and motivating and engaged and at work within us? Do we believe that our lives are really in God's hands and that we are really molded by a creator and worthy of divine intervention. Now, on my good days, I say, yeah, I trust. Sure, I do. But then there are those other days, the ones when the pressures mount and my faith diminishes in a wash of perceived expectation. I admit to succumbing at times to the effects of the world's messaging about me. I admit that I sometimes even forget to ask for God to help. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray, right? I do pray, Malin. I do. I ask for grace. I ask for patience, for health and protection, for my family and my friends, and to be a better follower of Jesus. Yeah, 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 I do. I pray. But then there are those needs, the real ones, that aren't articulated the nitty-gritty of the unfigured-out stuff about myself. And I keep it inside. I keep it unreflected upon. I keep it from God. I don't even give God a go at it. But Bartimaeus focuses on what he has, and he's got that voice. His trust is that Jesus can really matter in his life, that God's power is real, that he is beloved and worthy of God's care. And Jesus makes sure to point out to him, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. He lacks nothing in faith. Now we sang a hymn just a moment ago, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. It was written by Fanny Crosby. For those that don't know, she was born in 1820, and she got an eye infection when she was just six weeks old, and so she was blind for most of her life. She had a landlady who became really important to her, and that landlady would get her to interact with the scripture by just memorizing all of the Bible, like whole books. I can't imagine But then what she did over her life is she turned those Bible stories, a lot of them, into upwards of 7,000 hymns. It's really hard to even count. Some estimates are like 5,000. This is not really a good day for Fanny. Or then 8,000. So I'm saying seven, but that's a lot, okay? If you stacked hymnals on top of each other, if you had 15 deep, that's how many hymns the woman wrote. It's a lot, 
Some of hers are our cherished ones. Blessed Assurance comes to mind. And the hymn we sang, it's often, as I read about it, falsely interpreted as her fear that Jesus would pass her by and that because she couldn't see Jesus, she wouldn't recognize him at the end of her days. This isn't so. About her blindness, Fanny said, If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted. If I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will see will be the face of my blessed Savior. Her faith lacked nothing. And she didn't scapegoat her own body. Fanny, like Bartimaeus, was not limited to what others saw in her. Their faith, it freed them. Turns out Fanny wrote that hymn after a visit to a prison. She was walking down a prison hallway, and a man behind the bars, he yelled out, right, Good Lord, do not pass me by. So it turns out that Fanny gave words to the need for mercy where there was none, but where faith in God was assured and undeterred. We cannot be caged in by our limitations, especially when we measure ourselves against the standard of a world and its false estimation of what is good, of what is acceptable, of what is whole. Our poor bodies take the brunt of too much. We mutter to God our preoccupations in prayer and and often fail to lift up to God our deepest needs. Your faith has made you well, Jesus said to Bartimaeus. Could he say the same for us? Makes me think about my faith. If Jesus walked by me on the street, would I be bold enough to ask for his attention? If I really believed that God, creator of the heavens and earth, was also the creator of me, would I be at the whim of that comparative lens that measures myself against everybody else? And if I had the chance, as I do, as we all do, to ask Jesus for what we need, would I even know? what to ask for. It does make me wonder.